Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees available at www. Dot .grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia. Experience coffee like never before. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the fourth Sunday in Advent. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, with as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. It's been a few weeks, Father. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. We had a crazy few weeks where we had a lot of technical issues and a lot of um, just screw, screwy issues. Yeah, schedules and stuff. Exactly. Well, but now we're back. It's good to be back. While Alana's sharing, as you know, the drill, we do a little opening monologue and what I kind of want to contrast is in this week's readings, we have King Ahaz in today's first reading, and then we have St. Joseph's. And if, you, if you've heard one of the traditional understandings of St. Joseph's was that he didn't feel worthy to take the Blessed Virgin Mary as his wife when he realized that she was with child. Um, the, the church fathers did not believe that he suspected her of, infidel, of infidelity. That, that's often not the, the, the traditional reading. So the traditional reading is more that St. Joseph felt unworthy, that he couldn't accept the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, but the interesting thing is, what's the difference between King Ahaz and St. Joseph? On the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of difference. Now, I, I'm not sure how much we cover in the first reading. Let me pull it up. But I don't believe... Um, yeah, actually, King has it does it does cover the part where King has says, "I won't ask for a sign," and it seems like he has a humility like Saint Joseph, like, "Oh, I'm not going to ask for a sign," but but definitely not bad answer from King Ahaz. That's precisely the moment to ask for great things. Whereas Saint Joseph, he has true humility. He truly lowers himself and recognizes his unworthiness. I think it's an important principle. I've talked about a lot with the spiritual life, is that every aspect of the spiritual life has a component in which it's the working of the Holy Spirit and it's the working of the enemy. So it, it can be a, a good and powerful thing to recognize that we are unworthy, that that while we are still sinners, God comes to us and recognize our lowliness and have that humility. But there's also a counterfeit humility. There's a humility which um, which which is not pleasing to the Lord. And that would be the false humility, I think they call it pulsanimity, I believe is what the term the tradition uses for it. Uh, St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas uses it, pulsanimity. I'll have to look that up. Jennifer, on that, I don't know if Jennifer's with us this week, but um, pulsanimity, I think, is the, the word for false humility. So that makes sense? Totally makes sense. And you, t- and you took half my points. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's okay. But, um, but that's yeah. great. We're on the same, it means we're on the same page, but we can repeat, we can go over it again once we get into the readings and uh but i those are definitely parts that i was going to draw out of it too so we're definitely on the same page in these scripture readings um 
yeah. begin with. So it's great. And um, just if for everyone who's here, thank you for coming and uh, give us a like and a share. Also, you can find us on breadboxmedia.com or on the app for our uh, podcasts. And we have coming up announcement. We have a bingo, bingo sheets. Like for real, not just ones we joke about we should have them. I'm making bingo sheets and we're going to be distributing them. So if you want to email liturgylive at gmail.com if you want bingo sheets or comment and maybe we can set up a link. I think we need to start to give it. We need to start doing giveaways. I have a ton of stuff to give away and I just need to start giving it away because I have all these extra t-shirts and yeah, so we're going to start doing giveaways. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be great. So liturgylive at gmail.com. Let us know if you have an idea for a square, something we say often, um, <laughs> that, that you would be able to check off once we say. So it's just something yeah. fun to do, something to get everyone involved and, and um, really talking about you know, the podcast and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think also I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on EWTN January 23rd. And I think I want to make the, 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 the bingo square sheet available available then so if you follow along on e- while i'm on ewtn to see how many um to see how many i i, I, <laughs> I cover in my conversation with them it'll probably be a lot of content they'll be rehearsed like a lot of people who are regulars are probably gonna be like yeah we've heard this a few times yeah yeah but it's just really reaching out to the people who haven't heard you so <laughs> but it's still fun and we can watch and have a good time with exactly. with the bingo pages <laughs> and repetition <laughs> is the mother of, of learning right Oh. That's right. Oh. All right. So. You even, us... you even said, you said Pareto distribution without me saying anything. And I was just like, oh. In conversation. Yeah. So it was like, you're like, oh, I feel so happy right now. I'm so proud. This <laughs> <laughs> one person. <laughs> Someone oh. listens to you. It might just be me, but I'm listening. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to get into the first reading? Let's, let's get into the first reading. All right. From the prophet Isaiah. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as a netherworld or high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask. I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Okay, so <coughs> Ahaz is from the southern, king, the, the southern kingdom after it splits, after Solomon. Um, and he is of the, <coughs> of the line of David and he is not a very good king. Uh, you know, the time of Isaiah's telling us all about, you know, the coming of, of the um, exile. And so one thing that I find interesting in this is that the Lord speaks directly to Ahaz. So this isn't Isaiah saying, this is what the Lord says. It says, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for a sign. So he's saying, ask for a sign. Not saying like, it might be good for you to do this. He's saying, do this. Ask for a sign, whatever you, whatever in your imagination could be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ask for it. Well, and really, and really, actually, if you look at the biblical accounts, really, there's only a handful of things you really should ask for, right? You know, some version of wisdom, 
contemplation. Right. And I, and that would be more to me, I guess, a gift, but a sign of something but coming. But that's, I mean, that's the thing is, is, I mean, the, the, when Solomon, when God asks him, what do you want? Yeah, I right. guess you're right. It's gift a gift. Some sign. But I mean, yeah. So, so I just think it's really interesting that immediately after the Lord spoke to him, he was like, no, <laughs> I won't. Well, I, and, think it was a similar, I think it's the same question as King Solomon. Like, yeah. give what it, because it's a sign that all of this will be fulfilled. So, like, I'll do it. And, and also, um, because he was just about to be attacked from the northern kingdoms, that he was also asking for a sign that, that they will persevere, like the line will continue, that, that his son Hezekiah actually did a little bit of reform. Oh. Um, so, so it was also a sign that, that his kingdom would, would continue. You know what I mean? God's kingdom under David would continue. You know, it's a fascinating dynamic. I, I've, I've started to develop this theory, and I've got I to, gotta, is that in the bingo? Theory. <laughs> theory, <laughs> okay. So I need to write that I, down. <laughs> <laughs> my sister jokes around a lot. I have a theory. Um, so I have a theory about how final judgment works which is a lot of times, like if, if you sit down and you write out your answer, like if God comes to you and says, like if God comes to you and you're prepared beforehand on how to respond, you might say, oh, I'd ask for this or whatever. Actually, I think most people don't know what they would ask of God. I preached on this. because so I actually have preached on this before. That most people don't know what they would ask God for. So I think that's one. I think actually... Most people, like, for example, if they were to die and God would say, I'll give you anything, they were like, well, I just want to be alive again or something like that. It's like, eh, wrong answer. <laughs> like, you know, um, whatever it might be. But they wouldn't even know what grace is to ask for. But I've also had this theory that there's something about it. It's like your subconscious almost answers for you. Like um, a person who's trained in righteousness, trained in holiness, who spent their whole life consuming God's word, living according to his law, the truth just pours out of them. Like, I don't think, I almost envision Solomon when he gives the answer of wisdom. It's like, it's the first thing on his tongue. Like without even blinking, he's like wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's also one of the reasons why Christ asked those questions throughout the gospel. Like, what is it that you want, you know, to the blind man to see, well, you know, what is it, that you're looking for. So we can really actually contemplate that. Like, what is it that we want out of, from Christ? And, and in just thinking about like what you were saying and, and this reading makes me think of when, when we are praying to the Lord, like how long, Oh Lord, like send me a sign that everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's the type of, I guess, gift that, that he's asking Ahaz to, to ask for. Like, Send me a sign when, when, when everything will be all right, when salvation, you know, when, when the Messiah is going to come, the, the awaited for Messiah is going to come. Um, and, and we can pray that too. You know, we, we can pray, you know, send me a sign, Lord. Like, or maybe, have you ever prayed, like, the next person I'm going to just say yes or no, and they're going to say, and whatever it is, that's going to be it. Have you ever done that? Uh, no, uh, maybe when I was younger. But yeah, when you were, it's a young, it's like like a kid thing. My husband has a story. My husband has a story. When he was a kid, he was like, I'm going to ask, Lord, he was like praying and he's like, all right, I want to 
be in this house when I grow older and I'm going to ask my yell out the window and ask my cousin yes or no and God your answer will be yes or no and he yelled out to his cousin and she was like no and he was like all right <laughs> so it's just a silly like young thing of of like this is maybe how God speaks <laughs> well people do I mean they do similar yeah. things yeah it's it's silly the whole, like uh, roulette with the bible yeah um, open, open to I mean, it's it's a very uh, it's not very mature um, spiritually. It's not spiritually mature way of discernment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I might hesitate to kind of say it that directly. that way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I would say this, but <laughs> there's the thing. That, yep, that's a that's a square. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. Um, but well, you think about it. I, the um ask for a sign uh, yeah it's kind of interesting that that um because then there's like gideon gideon who does ask for a sign like um you know he asks for a specific sign like that the dew or whatever something miraculous um there, there was something, there was like some insight right there, right at the tip of my tongue. I'm uh, sorry. What, what, do you, what are some so, of the so they So he tells him to ask for a sign and he says no. So he yeah. he says, I will not tempt the Lord. But also he's he's re- not relying on God's power. He's He wants to rely on the power of, of men to like defeat the Syrian, the, the Syrians. Yeah. Um. So it's also, you know, because he's, directly thinking of the battle ahead not necessarily the spiritual signs that would be necessary to you yeah. know for the for the reality of salvation history he's thinking like most people who are thinking uh they they think temporal right so he's thinking like i won't tempt the lord for a sign but also not relying on the lord for the battle yeah yeah, you're right. No, absolutely right. And I was thinking of an example uh, Tim gave me the other day. We were talking with about one of his clients, and he was saying he he said to the client, he said, "Hopefully, this doesn't get Tim in trouble." I have a feeling most of his other clients don't watch Liturgy Live. Small <laughs> hunch, but um, but he was talking with the other client, and the uh, the client said to him, he was like, he's, he said to the client, "Oh, do you want to do this like deal?" Because he's you know Tim is primarily marketing. He's, he's inbound marketing. So he handles, he doesn't just do content creation. He also does like handling back. And so he's like, do you want to promote like a deal or something for the holidays? Like, you know, whatever. And I, I could do it for you. Take like, you know, whatever it would be hard to do. And the guy was so overwhelmed. He said to him, he said, I can't even think right now. And he got kind of like mad at Tim. He's like, I just want you to shut up and go away. I can't even think about this. And Tim was like, you really don't have to do anything. Just say yes. And, uh, the guy was like, but I think that that's one possibility with King Ahaz, right? Which is just that he feels like there's a sense of feeling overwhelmed but, and, or being so preoccupied with the world. I, I, I was struck by that recently. Um, I've been, I haven't been surprised, but the, um, I see a lot of parallels with the world and like people who are businessmen or people who are leaders and the spiritual life. But what I've come to appreciate, because I've, I've tried to have some of those conversations, is while I see that connection, they don't. And it's like, for them, like I've had a few situations where somebody who's a little bit more on the worldly side of things 
and maybe a little bit more successful in the worldly, they just could not grasp spiritual realities at all. And I was like, well, duh. I mean, that makes sense because that's kind of, that's, that's not, I mean, that's, um, Oh, hold up. I need to respond to this. Okay. Uh, so in, um, so I'm just going to read the comment that we have while you are responding. Yeah. Um, so Ryan Fisher says, hi there. I was looking for the Bishop Baron Father Mike Schmidt's interview with Jordan Peterson. Is this where I find that? Oh, wait. Uh, it's Father, <laughs> Father Ian and Alana. How I've missed you all. Uh, so uh, Ryan Fisher knows the jokes of, of the bingo squares. So he's going to be helping us fill out the, fill out the, the squares so we can uh, get this rolling. Thanks Ryan for hanging out and joking with us a little bit with our, yeah with our, so he got a bunch of squares there on our, <laughs> it's currently imaginary. <laughs> so, so you win today, Ryan, you win it all. <laughs> all right. And that's who we have for um, comments for right now. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it counts if people, I think we have to make that stipulation. It doesn't count if people bring it up in the comments section. Yeah. <laughs> make me say it by, by doing comments. It has to be naturally. <laughs> it has to actually arise in the conversation. All right. That sounds <laughs> funny. So, um, so you good? We ready now? Yeah, we're good. I hate okay. that one. Work interrupts. See that? Yeah, that's. Yeah. But so in, in the sign that is, that um, Isaiah gives to a, to King Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you this sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and then his son and shall name him Emmanuel. Hmm. So, so this is a sign that they waited so long for in, yeah. in salvation history. And, and it's really a, an interesting thing because Jesus's name is not technically Emmanuel, but it is, he is Emmanuel, which I, which is one of the things that I find so interesting and awesome about, you know, language and how, how it's all integrated because he is God with us. Yeah. So, so because he is also the word, he can be more than one word. Well, and I think, I think the big reason, the reason why we interpret the old Testament Christocentrically is a very simple reason that we have to always come back to is because Jesus Christ points to that. And that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the fundamental reality. Without the resurrection, without Jesus pointing to the fulfillment. And I would say we only know a little bit where explicitly Jesus points to himself in the Old Testament. But the whole orientation of the New Testament writers through the early church fathers, through our, our own times, is to read the whole Old Testament Christocentrically. Now, there was a movement in the 60s and 70s to say, well, we need to get at how the Jews would understand it and really understand. It. And so they would call it a question like, well, this doesn't really point to Jesus or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know how a Christian can hold those views. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's modernism is basically what it is. Gotcha. And I think understanding, I can understand a little bit of that, uh, wanting to know what that means from the, from their perspective, but only to understand it as Christ has fulfilled it, not in any other way. Yeah. Because Christ fulfills, well, fulfilled and, all of the prophecies. So we, you know, sometimes in our language or in our culture, we don't always understand what certain things meant, but understanding them should lead to understanding how they fulfill the prophecy, yeah. fulfill it. So. Yeah. Um, well, and the problem is also some of the uh, interpretations of the Bible 
that, that scholars rely on from Jewish sources are after Christianity. Right. So the, 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 the commentaries, the rabbinical commentaries are after. So it's like, and right. they were written with an anti-Christian view in mind because they didn't want to be Christian. Which is why we need to rely on the church fathers. Exactly. Which for I those think, things. Which is what one of our, one of our scholars at, uh, at St. Charles, he referred to the early church fathers as Christian rabbis. They, they, they interpret the scriptures in a similar way to the rabbis, but they're Christian and they point out the Christocentricity of it. Right. And, and Christocentricity means Christ-centered. The Christ is the center of the Old Testament. Yes. And, uh, and you can't understand the Old Testament without Christ. And you can't understand the church without Christ in the Old Testament. So it's, you know, everything points to, towards Christ and Christ points then back, you know, okay. to, to the revelation of himself and the Father and the Trinity. Yeah. And there's a lot of, just, it's a, there's a lot of, let's cover this briefly because I, I, if people are watching, one of the things I probably should create some content. There's a lot of confusion right now, unfortunately, because of Father James Martin that that um, people don't understand the relationship between the New Testament, the Old Testament, and, 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 modern, and modern ethics. So, for example, um, there's a classic one. I think it was on uh, the West Wing where somebody says, first of all, a Catholic would never say this, but the person who's Protestant says homosexuality is a sin because it's in the Bible. First of all, we actually, yes, it's in the Bible, but actually, we argument we argue for the sin aspect of homosexuality also from a natural law perspective, right? Yeah. So it's not just the Bible alone. But then, so somebody said, "Well, you know, you can't." Um, do you, and then he fires back and he says, "Do you do you um, do you disagree with this in the Old Testament, where it's like um, all these different parts of the law?" And the way the church fathers, the way all the, they read that is, there's parts of the Old Testament that relates to ritual law. There were some parts that were completed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ and are no longer relevant. And there's parts of the Old Testament that relate to what's called the natural law, which, which did not fade, which, which we still have after. So like you shall not kill in the Old Testament, same thing. You can't take innocent life in the New Testament, so on and so forth. That's right. right. Make a little face there. Am I getting into controversial territory? Or? <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> But that's okay, because we can go there. Because, But but if the thing is, is, I mean, it's like, Father James Warren, it's like, did he not take St. Thomas Aquinas? And probably, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is he just ignoring, like, thousands? Yes, he is. And that's the answer. He's ignoring. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. I, I've just chosen to, like, not even go there. I don't even, like, read his, like, what he does or any of that because really i mean yeah you, you, you well so you're not a priest so right. i have to because i'm gonna have to respond to this stuff because yeah. you'll, you'll get i mean you'll get these ideas these ideas will, will surface um and uh the thing i just mean like social media wise i just guard my heart in that way so yeah. i so i don't have to like it's stressful from a from a, you know a lay person's perspective like all of the dumpster dumpster fire stuff on twitter and all of that it's just sometimes it's just too much and we need to really focus on prayer and really focus on like what we actually need to learn so that we can face that in the future but it's not all shouldn't always just be in our face yeah that makes sense that makes sense um 
Are you, yeah. ready? Are you ready to get into the second reading? Yeah, let's get in the second reading. Okay. From Romans. Paul, a slave of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised previously through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The gospel about his son descended from David according to the flesh, but established as God of as son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness through the resurrection of, from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, among whom you are you also who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all the beloved of God in Rome, call to be holy. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is the very beginning of Romans. This is the the introduction and the and and you know who he is because he hasn't uh, Saint Paul hasn't met the people in in Rome yet. So he's basically giving like who he is, why he's writing. Um, and one of the things that I found that really stood out to me was the the we receive the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. I really think that that's something that we're missing these days, the obedience of faith and, and the, the necessity of grace for our, for our work, either in apostolates or in, in ministry, um, that we're really called to have obedience to faith. And, um, and maybe that goes back to what you were just talking about with James Martin, uh, Father James Martin, that uh, mm. obedience to faith is is something that, that publicly publicly has been questioned and well, I, I railed think, against. I think the fundamental attitude of this obedience is if this um, if there's a disagreement, if there's a disagreement between you and Scripture, you're wrong. And scripture is right. I mean, maybe you're not understanding it properly. But you have to, you have to, you have to change. You don't change scripture, right? So you don't change the word of God. And, and you know, so that there's that. And if there's an issue between you and tradition or some writings of the saints, now it doesn't mean sometimes you need to dig deep and properly understand it. But the obedience is the first thing that needs to change always is me. I realize that that's the thing that like people have a hard time with. It is really hard. I mean, I think obedience is one of the hardest things there, that there is. Even if, especially when it comes to obedience, like if you know that you, what you are doing is right, but you are having a hard time with like literal obedience of someone directly above you, but you still have to be obedient to them. And and specifically, I'm thinking of like saints, like St. Teresa of Avila, you know, people who were, who had to alter some of their prayer life in order to be obedient to their superiors, but Jesus loves that obedience. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he rewards that obedience too with his, you know, with so much grace and, and all of that. Right. So, and you know, the patience. Well, I mean, here's a, here's a, here's a challenge one that I think is relevant. Another dumpster fire type issue. <laughs> Are you obedient to a modernist bishop? And I would say that, I would say that's, that's coming, coming clear in my mind now is that about half the bishops are modernists, I would say. I, I, think, I think that's maybe not. I haven't actually done an actual poll, 
But I think modernism has really set into the Catholic Church, and a good percentage of the bishops are modernists, and a good percentage of the cardinals. When I say modernists, is that they deny certain aspects of the faith in a way that's congruent with modernist ideas. Um, they they want to change the sexual teaching. How do you operate within that as a priest? And I think you're called to. I think. I think the reality is though. There's not a set rule on how to do that. I think it would a lot of be a lot of it would depend on circumstances. Yeah, like how you and, would operate within that, and and still have respect for the office, and not, you know. I don't know. I feel like that would take um, great discernment. Yeah, um, and how to navigate that. Yeah, how to navigate that. Um, and, but the, and the, I don't think we know everything. Like I feel like in. It's the our age of information. I feel like we know less of what's actually going on. But here's the thing. This is a principle St. Peter gets at is, okay, let's say the United States government is corrupt. Um, we still have to obey I, the law. We still have to obey the law, especially just laws. And the same thing happens for if you have a modernist bishop or you have a heretical pastor or you have, uh, like, if they're if they're – they're acting within their rights and within what they're allowed by the church. You have to accept that. Right. And that's uh, hard. That's really hard. That's really hard. And yeah. in seeing all the corruption and, and feeling um, kind of like, like we don't have the power to do anything, but we do have the power to pray and, mm -hmm. and to really dive into these, you know, spiritually into these battles in that way. And it does, you know, our culture tries to tell us that it doesn't make a difference. And just to try to, to discourage us from those actions, you know, because they don't believe, they don't believe that, that prayer and, you know, fasting works, but we know that, that it does, but it needs to be, you know, in union, everybody together. You have to be, and you have to be, I mean, our Lord says you have to be as cunning as serpents, as simple as doves. Because um, I'm in a situation, it's interesting, because, so we were having another conversation on Facebook earlier today, on a little bit of another dumpster fire, the Latin Mass community, and I was talking about some of the bishop's concerns with the Latin Mass community in Raleigh, um, and um, simply put, the current bishop in Raleigh, um, I don't see him being a huge champion of the Latin Mass. His, his number one concern is not liturgy. It's just, that's not liturgical reform. Pope Benedict's, like, spirit of the liturgy, that's just not his bag, baby. I mean, that's, you know, from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just not his bag. I mean, that's just not what he's going to, that's not what he's going to, he's going to focus on. And his care is on actually more evangelization. And, I mean, that's one of his big things is evangelization, reaching out. Um, and he's, he's kind of, and not necessarily like a liberal versus a conservative thing. He just wants the emphasis to be more on evangelization. So the big thing is, well, how do you adapt in that culture? And you know, I've, I've had to realize that I have very strong views on liturgy. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to write about it. I'm going to think about it. I'm not going to pretend like I don't have those views. But out of respect to my bishop, you got you to gotta follow the leader. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough like a couple of years ago when I realized like, 
I have to shift my thinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and grace will be provided for it. Yeah. That's the thing is that as long as we are open to the grace and open to like, okay, maybe this is just not the time or not the place, you know, Mm -hmm. for this right now. I always say, okay, Lord, you have, you have permission to change my mind. Like, I don't feel like this is for me right now, but if this is what you have for me, then you have permission to change my mind. And that makes things a little bit less stressful for me personally. I'm like, okay, this is not, you know, a lot of, you know, through my meeting people here and telling them about getting my degree and they say, oh, so you're going to be a teacher. And I say, it's not what I feel called to right now, but the Lord has permission to change my mind because... Maybe it's what he has prepared for me, you know, like I don't want to reject what the Lord has prepared, but I also don't feel called right now to be a teacher, at least in, in like the high school or middle school, uh, age range. Makes sense. So makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and and it's just about what I would say that that whole, I mean, they say like, take one step at a time, you know, show me one step at a time. I think there is something to be said for that because like, even with my current, the current situation with the bishop. I don't think relationships change people. I think that's one thing they have to understand. Like my previous bishop, I was actually say he actually probably became much more friendly to people that were a little left of center as he was in the diocese of Raleigh longer. And he got to know people and he got to trust some people that he didn't agree with early on. And some people burned him that might have been more on the conservative side right so never doubt like the uh, i mean even with the own bishop not that i'm trying to manipulate the bishop but just simply witness day in and day out like even if you're like if your bishop or your pastor has an entrenched position right now if they get to know you and hopefully when somebody gets to know you that should hopefully soften their heart towards your position Right. Like when there's really a sharing of hearts, where there's yeah. really like a sharing of like who you are, like why are you passionate about this? Because that's one of the things I've come to believe, especially with the Latin Mass and some of the things of tradition, is older priests and people who who didn't grow up in my circumstances don't understand growing up in a circumstance where you didn't feel a strong Catholic identity, where like being Catholic was this kind of, it felt like a loser's club, you know? Sometimes, you know, bad vestments, cheesy music, you know, um, yeah, like it didn't feel like this awe-inspiring, transcendental, otherworldly type religion. Yeah. Um, that, that it was- took a lot more to, to, to be, to transcend what, you know, what is around you, kind of. Yeah. And there was that sense of beauty and things like that. So when I first went to seminary or when I first encountered the Eastern churches, I was like, oh, the mass can be like incredibly beautiful with like beautiful vestments, beautiful chalices, gold incense. The artistic side of me was, was stirred. Um, right. Because beauty lifts our hearts up to God too. Cause it's, exactly. it's all about the good, the beauty and the beautiful. And, and, the, what's and I always tied that with the mystical union. Cause in the Eastern churches, they, 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 they use a lot the, the trend, the, the exchange formula. So in the merit, right, it goes, God became man, or the traditional one is God became man. So man might become God. Yeah, totally. 
I when you were talking, I had something that I was going to say, but I can't remember. Oh right shit, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Um, but it was it was definitely about how oh relationships. You were talking about relationships. That it's ba- it's discipleship. It's it's par- the relationship is part of evangelization, and and his focus on that. You can totally connect with him in that way, and still you know, in a way, when once he gets to know you or whoever you know whoever you're. If you if you have a more traditional lean and you want to convince other people, like to actually have those relationships and not burn people, because that's where it's gonna get hard. You know what I mean? Just to be have an open heart and to listen to other people and to really take his what he wants to do seriously, because it can lead to the evangelization can lead to love for the liturgy. Yeah, and you know what I mean. So it's it's not an either or situation. You know, like it's a good point is. To people who are not in the inner circle of Catholicism, it's surprising how new people, if they're formed by a certain person or they're formed in a certain circumstance, can embrace things that people don't, that sometimes the inner circle sees as being in conflict. So like somebody might come in and completely believe in social justice and care for the poor and care for the environment and love the Latin mass. Like there's no reason that those things can't be enjoyed by the same person. Right. Um, outside of the fact that if you're on Twitter, <laughs> it's like you're, you're, you're creating your, you have your, you have your camp. And it's like, you yeah. have to, like you have to defend your flag no matter what. Yeah. I, I just, uh, if you're on Twitter, just guard your heart. <laughs> I'm, I'm, on, are... I'm on everything. I'm on everything. I'm on TikTok. Like mean, TikTok, you got to guard your heart too. <laughs> yeah, for real. But I mean, because they're just, there are, you see the gamut of like people who have these just love for the liturgy, but are also so mean to each other. And I'm just like, how is this evangelizing? How is this winning over any hearts to what you, you have want? To, you have to ignore the trolls. I almost say pretend like the trolls don't exist. Yeah. Because when you, when you get rid of them and you start to find like the, the, the reasonable arguments, or even if there's like 10 troll comments, you pick out, you pick out some semblance of a truthful argument in there, and you ignore the trollishness of it. The trolls do go away. Like most of the people who who struggle with trolls, they bring it upon themselves. Yeah, I just choose not to go there. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not made for that. But I mean, I'm sure everybody. Area. When everybody hears me criticize how they handle trolls, I know everybody does the same thing. They look at the fact that I have 800 followers on Twitter and they're like, what the hell does he know? He's not not popular on Twitter. I'm like, but I may not be popular, but I actually like the people who follow me. (laughs) They they may be 800 people versus 30,000, but I would actually want them over to my house for dinner. Right. It's, it's really about quality. <laughs> same with our listeners here. I mean, yeah. we're not, it's not thousands and thousands, but we like, we like, we like interacting with, with the crowd and it's fun. Yeah. So. yeah we don't get trolls ever. We don't, yeah, yeah, that's not weird. Like every time we were, like, you know, like trolls. Yeah. I'm okay with no trolls. I'm all right with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but, but then somebody would say, and they'd say, well, that we um, that we don't have uh you know once once we get trolls we've made it but i'm gonna read uh some some comments do you have to comments. respond 
Yeah, you know, you're good. I'm, I'm actually, I'm checking on our Facebook live. Oh. <laughs> um, Ryan Fisher says, I'm reading Advent Meditations of St. John Henry Newman this year, and he just had a meditation homily on obedience the last couple of days. He said to consider how plainly we are taught in scripture that perfect obedience is the standard of gospel holiness. He relates that our conscience clearly given to us by God and how it bids us to do certain things and avoid others, despite our beliefs, faith formation, or worldly views. It all relates to obedience. I thought that was powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it is uh, really powerful. And and exactly what we're talking about, how how even in the Old Testament, he, he says, the Lord says that he doesn't want all of the... Um, sacrifices they were giving he wants their obedience you know that's that's one of the things that christ wants from us the most it's just the obedience of faith and it's the hard one of the hardest things for us to get is our obedience i mean that's kind of can be related to the to the first sin to original sin is obedience following the directions that you are, you've been given no matter how you feel about it Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's just the same thing over and over again, us not being obedient to what we know. Yeah. But uh, he also says, speaking of vestments, you looked nice in that rose rose vestment yesterday. I do. <laughs> yeah. Not making a single joke about it. <laughs> That's right. Oh. I didn't hear a joke about yesterday, uh, yesterday from our priest either. So, no jokes. good times. No jokes. No jokes. Good. Those are dead. Yep. They've all been done. Yep. No, thanks for mentioning the, the rose vest. I, li- I like that rose vestment a lot. It's pretty. Well, and also in the South, it's actually not uncommon for men to wear pink in general or yeah. salmon. That's like, well, you guys wear purple salmon. all the time. So it's like, I don't get why my rose is a big deal. Um, well, in the Northeast, it would be men don't wear It's the Florida, the, the Tidewater, Florida beach culture. They wore more, wear more pastels. Yeah, and the men wear. It's like it's not uncommon, like to have like a pink shirt with like a blue, uh, blue bow tie, mm. and a suit. You know, like a, like a, like a seersucker suit and stuff like that. Are you but, ready for the gospel? Uh, yeah, let's jump in. All right, we. Have, I I want to make sure that we have time for it. That's why I'm I know. I know. Let's go. All right, from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that the child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Then Joseph awoke, and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took his wife into his home. Okay, so as you were saying in the beginning of this podcast, that um, the traditional reading of this, 
And I actually, this is this year, I think, is the first year I've, I heard this traditional reading. I've always heard it as Mary, as Joseph just wanted to, uh, he thought that, sh- that she had conceived through some other way and that he was going to divorce her because she was pregnant and they hadn't had sex yet. You know, so they, so this, this other way of looking at it, which I like so much more, it makes so much more sense with the reading when you, when it says that she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. So he already knew that the Holy Spirit, you know, had, had come to Mary because it wasn't just, she was found with child. Is that he was found with child through the Holy Spirit. And then he made these decisions. He didn't want to expose her to shame because, you know, she was with child with the Holy Spirit, but he also was afraid to be her husband because that's an overwhelming job of, of thinking that you would be raising up the son of God. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, so that's why the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home. So, so it's really a call for courage. It's, he's, in, he's encouraging him to, that this is what he's called to do. This is his, his you know, God-given job. And um, the thing that's also so important is that he is from the line of David. You know, he says, Joseph, son of David, you will, you will name him. And and the naming of the son is the taking on of the child. So this is my child. I will name him in in the Jewish tradition. The man names the son the son, and it becomes his, even if it's an adoption. So yeah. so it's the it is the legal also adoption of of Jesus to the line of David. So it's really important that he doesn't reject Mary. <laughs> you know. So yeah, absolutely. A lot of great stuff. Uh, did you find any church fathers that believe that D- Joseph was divorcing her because she, she thought he thought that she was unfaithful? I wonder if there's anybody who held that position, Orthodox thinker who held that position before the Protestant Reformation. See, what I've realized the challenge, the Catholic view. This this came into clear um, relief this past like three months. I that. The Catholic view is that this is perfection. Like, really think about that for a second. Mary is perfect. Joseph is a saint. Jesus is perfect. The Holy Family is the perfect family. Jesus's life, everything about it is an icon of perfection. So we are not seeing human sin here, which I think maybe that's... Now, maybe we can say with St. Joseph, maybe there's a little bit of a room... For, because he's a saint versus the Blessed Virgin Mary, who's born without the stain of original sin. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've heard it said that some of the, 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 the saints have said that, the, that they've held, and there's different sources that have held, that the Blessed Virgin Mary, like in her presence, like I, I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas who held the view that men could not lust after the Blessed Virgin Mary, that mm-hmm. her holiness was such that they could not lust after her. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, and that would make sense. And his knowledge of, of who he, she was to God, that, that would make it unthinkable, you know, to him as being righteous. Cause he is, he is fully righteous and just, um, and in his righteousness, he want, I guess he was trying to discern 
like what he's supposed to do in this situation because you know what are you this it's unprecedented <laughs> you know like what do you do in the situation where your betrothed is literally has you know been overshadowed by the holy spirit and is now pregnant with the son of god you know like what are you supposed to do and then so then you know god sends him a messenger saying don't be afraid to take this step to to you know f- be a part of this awesome journey you know yeah. and how beautiful that how beautiful that is that he I, and I really think that this next year, you know, is there's, I've heard so much more talk about St. Joseph in the last few months and um, Father Don Calloway's book on consecration to St. Joseph is coming out and I'm pretty excited. So I think 2020 is definitely going to be a year of St. Joseph, whether it's announced or not, but I think yeah, it's a trending topic. Great. Yeah. Well, I think what, I think what we're finding is um, I think it's an exciting time for uh, younger writers and thinkers, um, what you might call thought leaders, because like Father Don Calloway, he's not like a theologian per se, but he's a thought leader. I think what a lot of us are discovering is we're discovering our tradition for the first time and, and we're exploring it in a deeper way. And it's kind of exciting because it's new, but it's not new. Right. Ever ancient, ever new. Yeah. And, and how, and how important it is, you know, our mother, you know, the church, our mother, Blessed Virgin Mary, and how important she is, but also because we're lacking in our culture, fatherhood, and and how also with the, you know, the the culture in the church, how how we've been, how, you know, there, there's been betrayal by, by the earthly leaders you know, in our, in our church through the last little, little while that it has been coming to light slowly, slowly, um, that we really need that. We really need St. Joseph as, you know, as a father figure in, in this. I think the big thing underlying all of it is the suspicion of perfection and a kind of cynicism that there is no such thing as perfection. I think that's, and as, as a gift outside of Jesus. And even then I think with the modernist interpretations, they undermined the faith that Jesus himself was perfect. And Father James Martin, he skirts with that, right? Like he, that's another thing he skirts with um, is, you know, Jesus is, he's conditioned by his times. He's kind of sexist like his times. It's like, yeah, what's ex- what I'm finding exciting and fruitful is this is perfection. Like, it's a fascinating dynamic. God reveals himself. And the the whole say before was, like, God reveals himself in messiness, which is true for the Old Testament. But I I think we have to recapture that what little we know of the Holy Family is an icon of perfection. And Um, a gift. That's another thing that, that, especially in our time, people are very wary of. Things that have not been earned. Free gifts of grace and blessing are highly, like people are very suspicious of that and, and almost in rejection of it. And, and um, you know, it's just, it's just the mantra of our culture kind of, 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 you know, like you were, you shouldn't anybody who's been given gifts and is living in giftedness that, that somehow that they've stolen it from someone, you know what I mean? It's really for oh, yeah, someone like else who earned it. The Blessed Virgin Mary, like, yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really a hard place to walk, but also we are called towards the obedience and, and how we're supposed to grow in perfection. And that's part of being obedient. That's part of, of the last part of this reading is about how he heard the angel and was obedient. Yeah. And, and how important that is. I mean, that's what the second reading was calling for. Yeah, there, obedience and faith. Actually, as much as, see, that's the thing is, is this passage almost is like a Rorschach test and how you interpret it reveals more about you than about necessarily the text. It's like the classic here, the, the text where they leave a lot of details out and it could be like one thing or it could be another thing, depending on how you fill in the details. Mm. That's, um, actually, this might be a good homily. The, Because um, um, that's, that's how people have interpreted the Holy Family has been primarily by projecting their imperfections on the Holy Family. Mm-hmm. And their uh, in, inability to understand gra- the power of grace. Exactly. Like the, and that's something that I haven't heard talked about very much, but I feel like it's coming up over and over again for me. It's just like, Believing the power of grace, even through our own brokenness, how powerful God is in our lives mm. through grace and just believing that is more, it's so hard for people to just like grasp because, because they want to believe in their own power to change things. Like, what do we do? What do we do instead of who are we called to be and how will God's grace use, use mm. that in the world? Gotcha. So that makes sense. So that makes perfect. Sense. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Cool. So, but uh, we have we're, we're about at time. Yeah, uh, Ryan says Father Ian sent a prayer out for my two boys Logan and Spencer as they have last week of class before holiday break, tests mm-hmm. and such. Plus, they are in a in the car and they like to hear their name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Ryan. And um, the my finals are over, so hurrah. And uh, just prayers for the next year and for Christmas. Christmas is next, Christmas Eve is next Tuesday. So I don't know exactly what our podcast schedule is going to be, but uh, we'll let you guys well, know. Monday, what, what day is Monday, 22nd? 22nd. Oh, but you said you, you're, you're busy the, 20, the Monday? Oh, I just don't know if we're going to be going over Christmas or are we going to go over the first Sunday of Christmas? Or, um, you know, like I don't... want to cover Christmas. You want to cover Christmas? Yeah, I think you should be. Well, okay. actually, I, I like the idea of covering Christmas because I actually, I would not say that I preach on the readings for Christmas. Like, I don't, I don't really, like, extend the homily. My homilies are very short for Christmas. Because it's like... The thing is, you have so many you have so many unchurched people at Christmas, and it's like if you give them even a ten minute homily with some depth to it, they're gonna be like, "This is why I don't come." Like, what yeah. is? And Christmas Eve and Christmas Day are they different? Yeah, there's a lot of different readings. There's a lot of different readings. So we can. Most people don't go to mass during the day. They usually go to the vigil mass, at least in my experience. Um, we so we can do the, the mass during the day. I think we should do the midnight mass. because You think so? Okay. Because the midnight mass, that's traditionally, he was born, I think, at midnight is what the, the traditional teaching is. That's why you have the midnight mass. I think that's the one where it's also the word became flesh. I, mean, do, I guess, do we want to do the historical or the spiritual? That's the other thing. 
we'll have to. It might be good to do the historical because continue with this whole theme of perfection. Like, because that's the whole thing is, is Jesus chose to be born in lowly conditions. Like it wasn't, I mean, yes, there's an element of, he identifies, he lives in solidarity, but like, yeah, everything is chosen by God. It's not like an accident. Right. Right. It's all, it's all prepared for as we see through the old Testament that that's already thought through. Um, So let's uh, close it on the historical. I think that'll be more fun. Okay. Less, less, less abstract and heady. Okay. Just make sure there's four different links on the, on the website. So we'll, 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 all right. So join us next Monday and we'll be going over Christmas, the historical readings versus the spiritual readings. Yeah. Are you ready ready to roll? The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we just pray in a special way for Logan and Spencer. Just continue to help them as they grow and mature and walk with the Lord. I pray in a special way for all my intentions in my book of intentions, especially for a couple of the people that for a couple of people that are struggling with jail and with with the law, just to help bring that conversion that's pleasing in your sight. Pray also for all the youth that were on our Art of, Art of Worship event on Saturday for their conversion and transformation, that the, the grace that has begun in them may be brought to completion and the, the, they may, that their experience may bear fruit. I pray also for my family, my parents, for Lana, my co-host, for her children, her family. Pray for Jennifer and all of our, our supporters and our dear friends and family. Um, just especially here, I think, I think one of the things on my heart as I'm praying is just in this coming year, getting to know the people who are following us and maybe reaching out to them with, with giveaways and just trying to build that sense of community in the coming year. And I ask you to bless all who will listen or watch this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm putting our email um, in the comments. So, Let's um, do. so you guys can email us uh, liturgylive at gmail.com. And uh, we'll start distributing some of the uh, bingo squares. So if you think of a different bingo square, email us. All right. Have a great week, everybody. So take me to the fountain that I seek. It's welling up, it's Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at caneford.com.